Hi, everyone. I'm Daniel Foytek. I create and produce The Lift along with my co-creator and executive producer, Cynthia Lohman. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of The Lift. If you like this show, find more shows you might love over at society-13.com. From talk shows to comedy, the paranormal, music, and horror, society-13.com has more cool stuff for your ears, as well as a blog roll. With thoughts from C. Brian Brown, stories from Shadows at the Door, and even movie reviews from the Caveman Mafia's own stepfather. Check out society-13.com. You asked for it. You got it. The Lift is now available in iTunes. To find it, you can go to itunes.victoriaslift.com. Please subscribe and help us out by taking a couple of minutes to type up a short review and leave a star rating at itunes.victoriaslift.com. And now, let's go for a ride. Hi, this is Cynthia Lohman, and I'm the writer for today's episode of The Lift. No such thing. If you enjoy the story, you can find more of my work at CynthiaLohman.com. Find more episodes of The Lift at VictoriasLift.com. Once upon a time, there was a place that became lost. It is a place where story and substance combine, where the reality of story shapes thoughts, where fantasy becomes tangible. This is that place. Those who find themselves here are here to make a choice. The choices you made in the past don't matter. But the choice you make now is the one that will set your face. In nine years of commutes, I never noticed this building. Yet here it was, right at the address Meadow had given me. The front door didn't budge when I pulled, ripping a fingernail to the quick as my hand slipped off the cold metal handle. I resisted the urge to stick it in my mouth. Certain many years of grime lay lurking on the handle. While surveying the damage, I considered telling Meadow the place was closed. With no hours on the door, maybe it was. But I would end up coming back or feel guilty for making my friend pack up a newborn to run the errand herself. When I pulled the door again, it flew open. Not even a squeak broadcast its previous resistance. I entered the sad lobby of a neglected 1970s office building, complete with a goldenrod-colored trash can standing guard at the elevator. The old directory on the wall was missing its white plastic letters, making useless the name of the man I was supposed to see. I feared the place truly was closed for business. The silence was so absolute, until the elevator made a ding, better suited to a century ago than the disco-era remodel. The elevator doors separated with a smooth, almost noiseless glide, so unusual for the age of the building. Nothing about this made sense. I didn't even know what I was getting other than a package for the baby. 
Why hadn't I asked more questions? A young girl peeked out of the lift and beckoned. A gasp escaped me. I know where you're going, she said. Come along, let's go for a ride. This child couldn't work in the decrepit building, could she? Meadow's request was getting more and more unsettling. My displeasure must have been apparent. Oh, silly, the girl said. I live here, and this is my lift. I like pushing buttons. Knowing the girl lived there somehow felt right. She fit. The old elevator, at least. Her lace-trimmed dress, her curly golden hair pulled into pigtails, conveyed a doll-like quality, almost too perfect to be real. A wide smile hadn't left her face. Taking people up and down the elevator would be great fun for a child her age, so I played along and joined her. Do you know the floor for... I know where you need to go. You're expected. She said, and the doors slid closed. Pregnant dings noted the passing of each floor, stopping after the fifth bell. Here we are, sixth story. Rather than a hallway or office, the room was vast and dark. But I stepped forward. Are you sure? The question halted when I turned to find my guide gone. A giggle (laughs) echoed in the shadowy expanse. Imp. This couldn't be my floor. I would have to check the others one by one to find this Mr. Merritt. But the lift doors snapped shut, sucking all the light with them, my eyes unable to adjust to the absolute black, my hands unable to find a button to bring the elevator back. A phone rang, and I was compelled to answer it. Only guided by ringing, I stepped farther into the darkness. My cell phone was too warm in my hand. My head felt foggy, like when I woke up from the surgery to remove my gallbladder. How long had Meadow been talking to me? I couldn't recall any of the conversation. I don't even care if you help us move anything. I just want you to see what happens with Sal. Ah, the baby. No. He wasn't a baby any longer. I shook my head as if trying to knock loose corrosion from the circuitry. You're moving? I asked. Are you kidding me? Did you set the phone down and walk away or something? No, I just faced off. I was thinking about when you sent me to that weird building when Seth was a baby. I wasn't going to tell her it felt like I had just been there. Huh? She said. Seems more than a coincidence that you'd think about that. And now Seth's ability manifests when we look at our new house. I tried to recall what it was I picked up for her those three years ago. But the memory was void. Not even like it was just beyond reach missing, like a hole in a page. I'm sure Meadow would make something of that, too, like when I couldn't convince her I was the one who moved the planchette on the Ouija board we played with in junior high school. I sighed. (sighs) My offer to help my friend and her family move to the country was a trap to convert me into believing in spirits and Seth's supernatural powers. I'm sure there's an explanation, I said. There always is. It's not like the movies where activity slowly ramps up or those ghost shows where nothing really happens. Seth was talking to something or someone and there were all kinds of noises in there. 
Meadow got more excited the more she shared. And Seth was holding its hand. It was no use trying to convince her that her three-year-old son was babbling like three-year-olds do. She was so gung-ho about the paranormal as long as I knew her. And she wanted to prove it to her skeptic friend for just as long. I imagined her walking in on him with his hand suspended in the air, her susceptible mind turning it into something more. If I encouraged or argued, this conversation could go until morning. You're picking me up at eight? I asked. Yep, eight o'clock. I can't wait till you see this. I couldn't help myself. You're more excited about your spirit than you are about your new house. Oh, you don't get it. This makes the house even better. Even after the long ride on the highway, it was two different dirt roads and a mile-long driveway before the trees on both sides thinned and the house came into view. It was not the two-story square farmhouse like others that too seldom broke the monotony of the drive, but a squat ranch home. Tall pines lined the edges of the property, an island of open land amongst the encroaching forest. Meadow retrieved Seth, who had the luxury of falling asleep in his car seat halfway through the drive. Seeing where he was, he wriggled until she put him down, running as soon as he touched the ground, his little legs chugging toward the house. He made a sharp right to run along the front of the house, and when there was no more house to block his way, he made a left and disappeared around the corner. It's nice I don't have to worry about him here, Meadow said as we walked toward the house. What about animals, mountain lions, and bears and such? Her head snapped to look at me, her long beaded earrings clacking. Oh my god, she said, then yelled, Seth! She jogged in the direction he had gone just as he appeared from the other side of the house, still running until coming to a cartoon-like stop in front of me. Open the door, Mommy! My friend! She cast a told-you-so look at me, turning the doorknob without using the keys. At least animals can't unlock doors. While the doorknob turned, the door didn't open. She twisted it again, the effort turning her thumb white with pressure. Maybe it's a sign. I said, to which I received the stink eye over her shoulder. She used the other to bump against the door. Seth pushed his mother back and grabbed the doorknob. Like this, Mommy! With a turn of his toddler hand, the door swung open, banging against the wall and bouncing back, almost closing again, but for Seth's little body charging in. The entry was just big enough for the door to open to an opposing closet, To the right was a large room, serving as living room and dining room, judging by the hideous brass and glass chandelier on one end. Meadow dropped her keys and purse on the floor, and I propped my day pack against the wall next to them. Give you a tour? I think we have time before Brad gets here to unload the truck. Meadow walked toward the sliding glass doors behind the ugly light fixture. Meadow's husband, Brad, was driving the rental truck and hadn't arrived yet. He left before we did, but we passed him less than ten minutes later. He was going to be a while. There was no cell service for the last hour's drive, so we wouldn't even get an update. Plenty of time to see the place and prove it ghost-free. To the left of the dining area, a U-shaped kitchen with dark brown cabinets was behind a half wall with open wood shelving serving as the upper half. My grandma would love this, I said. It's vintage! Meadow pulled back the yellowed sheer curtains to reveal a cement patio in a flat backyard spreading out to the trees. Good for watching your son get eaten by bears. You're funny. 
She led me to the only opening in the long wall opposite the kitchen. Bedrooms are back here. The back bedroom was the master, with its own bathroom and another sliding glass door to the backyard. Next to the master was the main bathroom. The front corner of the house was another spacious bedroom, and between that and the living room was Seth's room. His room was smaller than all the others, what a realtor would call cozy. Why is he in the smallest room? He picked it, she lowered her voice. His friend is in here. I didn't withhold an eye roll. Seth, don't you want to show me your room? No answer. Where'd he go? He's probably hiding in a closet, visiting his friend, maybe. She tilted her head toward the sliding wood doors on the left wall. That would be one of the few places to hide in the empty house. I slid the door open closest to the window, calling his name in sing-song. This should have elicited a giggle, but it was quiet muffled even. Such an odd atmosphere in a bare room with wood floors. I stuck my head in the closet to look in the corners, but Seth wasn't there. An oppressive silence was. I gave Meadow a concerned glance. Not because of the anomalous lack of sound, but because we didn't know where Seth was. She wasn't worried, judging by her huge grin. You feel it, don't you? The circuit box is in there. You might want to rethink putting Seth in this room and have your wiring checked. You just have an explanation for everything, don't you? Because there is an explanation for everything. Where's your son? Worried he could have gone out the sliding door in the master bedroom, I went to check. It was locked and had a bar in place to keep it from sliding. Seth wasn't in the closet. In the master bathroom, I opened the doors of the vanity, to be sure. He was small enough to fit under the sink, but the space was empty except for a cracked, dried-up plunger and some water spots. Meadow appeared in the doorway as I came out of the bathroom. Anxiety crept into her voice. Is he here? I shook my head. She yelled his name, going toward the kitchen. No mischievous footsteps thudded from room to room. No three-year-old giggles gave him away. He had to have gone outside. But when I tried the front door, it was locked. Cabinet doors clattered in the kitchen while I checked the dining room sliding door. It too was locked and barred. Meadow called, sweetness blanketing her panic. Seth? Mommy's worried. Tell me where you are, honey. We returned to the bedrooms. There is no way we could have missed him when we went through before. But where else could he be? Meadow let out a shuddering sigh a second before I stepped into Seth's room and saw the crisscross back of his denim overalls. He looked into the closet, his arms bent at the elbows, as though he was holding something in front of him. Close. Protected. He was more still than I thought possible for a three-year-old. And quiet. A hush that demanded silence around it. Meadow, not three steps in front of me, had her arms stuck out behind her. It's happening, she whispered. Oh, come on. Shh. She swished her arm at me, making Seth's stillness more pronounced. I nearly snorted. Nothing was happening. The only happening 
was the lack of happening, momentous in itself with a toddler. I was about to tell her that too, but Seth made a noise, a strange babbling, a conversation like twins do with each other, a language all their own. Meadow's arm was tucked close to her body, her hand in a fist, jittering in excitement. His friend is here, she said. You really can hear when someone is smiling, even when they whisper. So we waited. Time dragged with a lack of evidence. The room didn't get cold. There were no shadows that hadn't already been there. Enough light came through the yellowed mini-blinds from the only window that I could still see into the closet just as well as before. The hush I felt from the closet didn't even spill into the room. Two adult women were watching a three-year-old babble to his imaginary friend. I took a deep breath and blew it through tense lips. (sighs) Then Seth felt quiet and stepped aside. Got out of the way. As I opened my mouth to say I was done waiting, a pressure so full, so complete, I couldn't even gasp, pushed the front of my body. No footsteps had come toward me. The very air had solidified and molded to every part of me facing that closet. It moved me toward the door, not a shove the way a person would, not even like a wall. Just a force strong enough to make it clear, regardless of my skepticism. Get out. Nothing like this had ever happened. The best proof of the paranormal Meadow ever had before was created by me. But I didn't do this, and there was no way I could conceive that I would feel that sensation and be physically moved through a room while not a hair twitched on Meadows or Seth's heads. Though my mind was frantic for an explanation, fear was in the driver's seat. A flight or fight panic I wasn't going to ignore. Explanation or not, something was happening that demanded a proper response. We need to get out of here. I tried to sound calm yet convincing. I left the room, but no one followed. When I turned back, I caught a glimpse of Meadow with her mouth hanging open before the door slammed shut. She wasn't close enough to have done it. And enough of Seth was visible behind her to know he didn't slam it either. Maybe it was a joke, a stunt to make the skeptic believe. Where was Brad anyway? But it didn't feel funny. I was scared, threatened. We need to leave. I said loud enough for Meadow to hear, but as the words left my mouth, a thought felt like it was inserted right into the crevices of my brain. This thing wasn't letting her go. How was it in my head? How could any of this be? The doorknob rattled and turned, but the door didn't open. It's stuck, Meadow said. I wanted to leave abandon my friend to the proof she sought for so long and walk out the front door, maybe even run. I just needed to get away before I was stuck too. I could meet Brad, have him come get her, I could call my parents, but no. It would take too long and this thing would know about them. 
I shouldn't have thought about them, but it was already too late. Believe or not, it was happening. This was real. Like Meadows said, this wasn't like a horror movie. And I wasn't going to be the heroic victim. I'm going to get help, I said. Meadow didn't respond as I hurried across the living room, grabbed my pack, more to remove associations to myself than because it had value, and pulled at the front door. It wouldn't budge. And I yanked at it in a panic when I remembered it had been locked when I checked it a few minutes ago. With a turn of the switch, it opened as easily as it had for Seth when we entered. Guilt held me in the doorway not even a full second before I slung my backpack over my shoulder and walked out, past Meadow's minivan in the driveway. I could have gone back to get the keys, drive until I met Brad, but taking the van meant coming back, and I wasn't. There would be no visits to Meadow's house. It wasn't Meadow's house. It was never Meadow's house. Even if Meadow was still in there, which I didn't believe she was, I wasn't going to see her again. Maybe if Brad was lucky, or unlucky, he would. I didn't see a rental truck as I walked the long, shaded driveway. The smell of pine, usually a happy reminder of camping trips and hikes as a kid, provided no comfort. I felt a weight I didn't carry with me when I came. Maybe the guilt had manifest physically, making me feel like I trudged through mud instead of on gravel. Meadow set out to prove something to me, and she finally produced the evidence she needed to succeed. I still believe there was an explanation for what happened, but it was one I never considered possible. Something pushed me out of that room. Something kept Meadow from getting out. Something got inside my head and put a bone-deep terror in me I would never forget. My thoughts seemed to contaminate the forest around me, darkening the trees until they faded to black. The heavy crunch of my steps on the gravel drive faded until I was walking on a smooth floor toward the light of an open elevator. In the course of a few steps, I had gone from some alternate reality, dream, future, of Meadow and her family to the abandoned office floor where the elevator girl left me. But unlike the faded dream, it had to be a dream. The dread was still with me making my current situation all the more disorienting. I wasn't going to think about it. The way out was open in front of me, and I had to take it, though my feet still dragged with the heaviness I felt on that driveway. I rushed as fast as my legs would let me before the door slid closed, but halted when the little blonde girl peered out, her green eyes glowing. They dimmed so quickly it had to have been a remnant of my dream. She giggled as she had when she left me on the dark floor. That wasn't very nice, I said, stepping onto the lift with her. 
She ignored me as the doors slid closed, her back to me, holding something in front of her the way Seth had. My heart pounded. Is it happening again? The momentary lightness as the elevator started down was contrary to the weight of my broken beliefs. But it wasn't real. It was a trick. Everything was the way it was before I ever came to this awful place, except I still felt heavy, as burdened as I had escaping that nightmare. The girl turned to me, her smile gone, a small line in the previously smooth skin between her brows. In her hands was a box with a phosphorescent quality about it. I resisted the urge to back away, not feeling like I could if I wanted to. The girl studied the space just over my shoulder and spoke as if someone were standing there. You won't get away for long. Why wasn't she looking at me? I am never coming back here, I said. And she looked me in the eye. You're correct. You got what you came for. What? I didn't... But I felt it. It did want me to get out of the house. Get out. It had said to me. That was its intention. Not a warning. It was the weight I carried. Meadow hadn't sent me to pick something up. Seth had. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Lift. Today's episode featured a story by Cynthia Lohman, No Such Thing. If you'd like more information on Cindy and her work, please visit CynthiaLohman.com and follow her on Twitter at Cynthia Lohman. Artwork for today's show was created by John Towers. If you'd like more information on John and his work, please visit StigmataStudios.com and follow him on Twitter at Johnny X. That's J-O-N-N-Y-A-X-X. Please help others find our little lost place. Share the show and help us grow. Follow us on Twitter at Victoria's Lift and find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Victoria's Lift. Don't miss the next episode. Subscribe to the show in iTunes at itunes.victoriaslift.com. You can also subscribe to the show in Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, or Google, and coming soon to Google Play. This show's feed is feeds.feedburner.com forward slash Victoria's Lift. The best support you can give us is to share the show and to leave a review in iTunes. In fact, we did have some reviews in iTunes, and I thought I'd share them with you. 
So thanks for taking the time. First is I Love Victoria and Her Lift, five stars from History Goes Bump. The story surrounding Victoria, the lift, and the building both inhabit is intriguing. This reminds me of the Twilight Zone, and I like the theming of horror and redemption. What makes this podcast unique is that it has many writers providing the stories and that all are within the same world. Most radio dramas or podcasts featuring horror or sci-fi fiction have different authors writing very different stories. Give this one a listen and you will be hooked. Thank you very much. Finally on iTunes, five stars by JC Woods STL. I'm a huge fan of The Lift and have already listened to current episodes via the website, but I've now downloaded them all to listen to them again. If you are a fan of great writing, endearing characters, and top-notch narration, this podcast is for you. If you haven't listened to many storytelling podcasts, but were a fan of the old Twilight Zone episodes, this podcast is for you. Go ahead and subscribe. You're welcome. Well, thank you. And lastly, awesome five stars by Mr. Leroy. Intriguing series reminiscent of an old-fashioned radio show. Creepy story, great narration, and voice acting. Love it. So again, thanks everybody for taking the time to leave a review iTunes does give you the opportunity to leave a star rating without a review. And we did have three folks that took the time to leave us a star rating without a review. And we do thank you very much for that as well. All works read in this audio recording and associated music and artwork are copyright of their respective creators and may not be used in any form without their permission. Dramatic reading performed by Cynthia Lohman. The voice of Victoria Bigglesworth Hayes was performed by Amber Collins. The Lift opening theme music was composed and recorded by Kimberly Henninger and Sean Park of Cathedral Sounds, cathedralsounds.org. The Lift closing theme music was composed and recorded by Nico Vitaze of We Talk of Dreams, wetalkofdreams.com. This episode was scored by John Nespazinski of Orchard Place Productions at teamorchard.com. You can also see John's recent project, The Other Side, which is a great zombie movie on Vudu, Amazon Instant Video, iTunes, Google Play, Xbox Video, YouTube, and most cable providers. Head on over to teamorchard.com for more information and trailers. Incidental music in this episode was performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com and used with his permission. Check the show notes for titles and credits. The Lift is a Ninth Story Studios production. Ninthstory.com Creator and producer, Daniel Foytek. Executive producer and co-creator, Cynthia Lohman. Full show notes with links and artwork can be found at victoriaslift.com forward slash S1E7. Societies rise and societies fall. When the time comes, one society steps forward to build a better future. The Wicked Library, Kettle Whistle Radio, Night Story Podcast, Prog Watch, Red Horse Radio, The Lift, History Goes Bump, Society 13, Rebuilding Society, one podcast at a time.